the worst bestsellers, where we make fun of kids with cancer so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we've read Angels Watching Over Me by Lurlene McDaniel. Joining us to discuss this classic 90s cichlet is career counselor slash teenage non-cancer survivor, Erin. Hi, Erin. Hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us. Um, thanks for joining us for this last installment of Flashback Summer, and welcome back to Renata, who has returned from her sadness cave at last. <laughs> I'm, I'm so glad to be back. I'm so happy to be in my happiness non-cave. Excellent, excellent. Um, thanks to Becca for holding down the fort while I was gone. There's a lot of placement of, I don't know, there's a fort and a cave happening now. I don't know. Well, and also you're leaving your sad cave to talk about a really sad book. Yeah, so. that's true. By the end of this, I might decide to move back into the sadness cave. Um, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, uh, I have discovered in the last few days, I've been telling people, like, oh, I'm going to talk about Lurleen McDaniels on the podcast, and I've gotten a lot of blank looks, like, even from ladies roughly my age, which I feel like was Lurleen McDaniel, like, I feel like that's her bread and butter, it was, like, m- me. But I don't know. I guess she was not as famous as I thought, or I'm just hitting weird pockets. I don't know, because I people who I've mentioned it to have definitely seemed to be like, oh. And I mean, I didn't read a ton of her books when I was a kid. Uh, the, the cancer, child with cancer, teenager with cancer, and doomed romance subgenre was not particularly appealing to me, but I, I still read a couple. But even I, like without having read a bunch of them when someone said her name to me 10 years later, I was like, oh, right, the cancer lady. So maybe you're hitting weird pockets, or maybe I just have really morbid friends. So anyway, so if you are not familiar with Lorraine McDaniel, she's written, like, over 100 paperback books. Um, they're all about kids with various degrees of illnesses, usually terminally ill, usually cancer, but there's some variety. Uh, Erin and I were reminiscing about Baby Alicia is Dying, which is about AIDS babies. I think she had a couple AIDS babies books. Yeah, when uh, I went back and read all the, like, think pieces about Laureline McDaniel's (laughs) books, um, which was really, because when I read them, I was a big, like, crying and dying genre person (laughs) in middle school and um I don't really remember many of my peers reading them Hmm. I kind of felt alone in that too like (laughs) double oppression it made you even more emo and it made you read more Lurleen yes exactly like it 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 increased you know my knowledge that like I was special um (laughs) but I remember when like there was an article maybe in bitch like uh in college like late college or I don't know early like 10 years ago about it and I was like oh I wasn't the only person this is I I thought it was just me who uh you know supported this woman in her hundreds (laughs) of novels but but one thing that I read was that the baby Alicia is dying is like the only African-American character in like basically all of her books is like the baby with AIDS (laughs) that sounds right (laughs) (laughs) a little problematic but Um, and the craziest thing is I read a bunch of these also, and I had a cousin who was about 10 years older than me, maybe, who did die of leukemia. Oh, uh, like, I'm sorry. 
they, I like it happened. I was maybe five when he died, so I don't really remember it clearly. But like, it was in the family, and it should have maybe made this like less appealing to me or something. But did not, did not, <laughs> did not diminish the appeal of these at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like you could kind of separate your own tragedy, you know. Yeah. From the unrealistic tragedies in the book. Because mm-hmm. most, most cancer, kids with cancer aren't also, like, falling in love or whatever. Right. Uh, and then we'll probably come back to this when it's time for Reader's Advisory, but I will quickly at the top of the show here say that there was a lot of uh, a resurgence, I think, of Lurleen McDaniel think pieces a couple years ago when The Fault in Our Stars came out and when The Fault in Our Stars movie came out. Because that, of course, is the most, like, a recent popular cancer kid book. And there, there's always, I feel like, these hot takes on, like, teens are reading about cancer. Like, why? And it's, it's not a new thing. Or, um, but I think The Fault in Our Stars was taken a lot more seriously than any of these Lurleen books. Partly because I do think it technically is a better book. And then we can also talk about, you know, it's written by a man. Yeah, we'll debate that later. Yeah, we'll get into that later. I have some opinions. Yeah. It was really interesting because when I was looking up some stuff about this book or trying to find this book, a lot of those think pieces from around the time The Fault in Our Stars came out popped up in the search and they were all things like the horrifying new trend in young adult literature <laughs> yeah. you know sick sick lit and stuff like that and like even just it was like i am googling for a book that came out in the 80s like come on this is there's nothing new under the sun and all everyone who writes why i think pieces needs to chill correct yeah Um, And I guess one last thing I'll say before we get into the specifics of this book is uh, in her bio, Lurleen has said that the reason she writes all these books about chronically ill kids is to cope with her own kid who has juvenile diabetes. And I I don't want, like, yeah, of course it's scary, you know, if your kid has diabetes or if you have, you know, that's a serious illness and you do have to, you know, there's needles, there's all kinds of stuff. But she's writing about things that are like, Okay, they're worse than diabetes. I'll just say it. Having cancer is worse than being diabetic. If we're going to, like, rank illnesses, which I'm not necessarily saying that we should do. But in this case, I feel, like, real confident. I think you can solidly say baby with AIDS is worse than diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, At least definitely then. Now, maybe arguable, definitely then. Yeah, definitely then. Well, and also in the early 90s, we had a youth young adult book to go to about our diabetes questions, and that was The Babysitter's Club. Yeah, correct. Exactly. So we had, we had, what was it, Stacy's Secret? We had whatever that book was. Yeah. And that's all we needed. <laughs> but instead, none of the babysitters had cancer, so that's why we had to read these. <laughs> hey, she found her niche, you know? <laughs> So uh, we read Angels Watching Over Me, which it turns out is the first of a trilogy, which I don't think I was quite aware of when we picked it. Uh, But then I I did later read the summaries of the other two, so we can briefly discuss that. But so wild, yeah. (laughs) But so this one and why we picked it will become apparent shortly. 
Um, it's the story of Leah, a teenage girl who broke her finger and is hospitalized for it for a week. And she's a little bit like, this seems extreme, but she doesn't really question it very hard at all. Um, mainly, or at least partly, I think, because her mom is on her honeymoon with her stepdad in Japan and won't come back. Well, and Leah was like, no, it's fine. I guess you don't have to. And her mom was like, great, because we're on our honeymoon and, like, I'm not doing that. So she's like, oh, and it's almost Christmas, and she's in the hospital with her broken finger without her family. And, of course, it's a Lurleen McDaniel book, and, of course, like, we as they're like, oh, she's got cancer. But she doesn't seem to question it, like, at all. She's just like, I guess this is just, like, a little extreme for a broken finger, but okay, like, whatever. And then, meanwhile, she's in the hospital. She has this roommate who is six, which is strange. Like, I don't know for a fact, but I feel like they would kind of try to keep teens with teens and not, like, here's a teenager and here's your, like, six-year-old roommate, but whatever. Her six-year-old roommate is Amish. She's named Rebecca. And she is in the hospital with a spider bite with a staph infection in it, which is <laughs> which is very relatable content. <laughs> Because uh, if you don't follow me on Twitter or social media, you maybe did not hear that I recently, while in my sadness cave, was bitten by a spider that, and then, then sat in a hot tub. PSA, you guys, <laughs> it's it's true what they say about hot tubs. You can get staph infections from them, and I did. I got a staph <laughs> infection in my spider bite on my butt. And it was, it was horrible. But, uh, you know, I took antibiotics. I'm fine now. But when I, when I read this book, I was like, oh shit. Like, I knew staph infection was bad, but I didn't know it was Lurleen McDaniel bad. Like, (laughs) if I, if this had been, yeah, if this had been one of the ones I'd read when I was a teen, I'm sure that I would have internalized it and been a lot more freaked out when I did get a staph infection. Like, oh my God, I'm going to be hospitalized like Rebecca in that one book. Uh, because I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but I definitely did have that thing where because I read so many of these, like, whenever I had a bruise, I was like, ooh, that's a sign of leukemia. Like, I'm probably going to die. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not particularly like that, Um, possibly because I had – my parents both worked in – medical fields neither of them were doctors my father was a firefighter who was also a trained emt mm-hmm. and my mother um worked was a clerk at a hospital so we were kind of of the well as long as blood's not actively spurting out of something you're probably fine i broke three limbs <laughs> And only one of them was rushed. I was rushed to the hospital right after it happened because I guess it made a sound when I fell (laughs) and I started screaming. But like literally I walked around with a broken foot for two weeks because I was like, my foot kind of hurts. And my dad was like, oh, okay, well, probably you hit up, hit it up against something. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure if I had gone to my parents and been like, I have this bruise, I have cancer, they would have like laughed. Um, but in, in my own, like, private dramas, that, yeah, that was, like, playing out. Kind of laissez-faire in approach to all of our illnesses definitely wore off on me. I definitely became a person who had a large tolerance for pain and assumed that everything would get better if I ignored it for a few days. 
Though I will say, learning about your spider bite and how bad it, you know, how painful it was and disgusting and oozing and, you know, you were, like, crying with pain, you know, it really actually made me sympathize with Rebecca more today when I was, you know, going through my notes, made yeah. me feel for her a little more. Because, yeah, because she does not seem sick at all. No. Like, no. <laughs> she is never, I mean, and maybe it's partly, like, her cheerful Amish disposition, but... She seems fine. Yeah. So here's here's my question that I'm interested in. I don't know. I, I'm interested. I don't know that when this came out that MRSA was as big a thing as it is now. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> that too. I don't think it was. As I was reading it, I was like, this would be much more like, oh my God, is she going to be okay if she had MRSA and not a staph infection? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that was definitely a thing that I kept thinking about throughout. So I'm wondering if this was written now, if that would not have been the case. Right. Um, mostly I just thought about how I was actually thinking, are MRSA and a staph infection the same thing? Because I know someone who got MRSA from some gym equipment at the YMCA, and mm. she was fine-ish, so... I think MRSA is, like, is it a more specific, like, drug-resistant type of staph infection? Yeah, it's it's an infection that is definitely, it's more antibiotic-resistant, and it spreads easier, so it is particularly bad in hospitals because it kind of attacks your weakened immune system. So if you're a regular dude catching it from gym equipment, probably you'll be fine, but if you're in a hospital and and everyone else sick, yeah, it could be, like, really bad. Um, by the way, I just checked the copyright in this book. This is 96, so this is a little bit late for Lurleen, I feel like. I mean, she's still writing books, but I think, like, peak Lurleen was maybe earlier 90s. Yeah. yeah but also, still, this is pre-MRSA, I think. Sadly, well, I remember reading this book. Like, I remembered the plot line, and I think it's kind of my go-to, like, Lurleen McDaniel's books are crazy, because um. there's also the Amish plot line, which is you know, makes it, like, extra interesting. But if it was published in 1996, that means I was in eighth grade reading this book. (laughs) And that embarrasses me. There's no shame here. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, earlier I I proudly talked about reading Animorphs. And those, well, I guess I did stop maybe when I got to eighth grade. But I was in that age when I was reading Animorphs which, as previously discussed, are about kids who turn into animals to fight aliens and also are objectively amazing books. So. Anyway, back to Lurleen. <laughs> well, here's an update on MRSA. MRSA is a staph infection that is uh, resistant to specific antibiotics, which makes it that much worse. And the most common strains did not really start to come around until the late 90s to the early 2000s. Okay. Most of the community-associated strains began between 1999 and 2006, it looks like. Okay. Guys, we are going the extra mile for you. We are reading books so you don't have to, and we're reading Wikipedia articles so you don't have to. Just full service. <laughs> we want you to give get have, like, lots of diseases that you think you have, you know, yes. not just a staph infection, but also MRSA, mm-hmm. so. And you might have, you probably do have cancer, yeah. actually. There's a lot of kinds of cancer. <laughs> and you're on your phone all the time. You're going to get cancer from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just to be honest. <laughs> uh, okay, so, 
back to this book. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> Rebecca's Amish got a staph infection spider bite. Very relatable to me. Uh, and then... And then her her family comes to visit. Yes. Is her Amish family comes to visit and... Leah is immediately taken by how handsome her older brother Ethan is, but then he's very uh, rude to her. So she immediately is like, no, he's an asshole, but he's gorgeous. And uh, with Ethan is Rebecca's older sister, Charity, who is, I think, a couple years younger than like just maybe a year or two younger than I think our ages here um Rebecca I think is six or seven Ethan is 16 Leah's 15 and Charity is 13 I believe okay yeah but Charity uh you know is very sweet but the more she talks to both Charity and Ethan and Rebecca, the more Leah is just like, man, Am- apparently, A, first of all, she has never heard of Amish people before. Like, at all. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get that. She is very confused. She doesn't understand why they're wearing this weird clothes and they're not fancy and they're speaking in, like, strange, old-timey English And she just thinks that everything about their way of life is weird and wrong in a very kind of like comical, a teenager will learn a lesson at some point during this book overreaction sort of way. Mm -hmm. Also, that didn't make sense because her mom like was never around growing up and she was obviously raised by television. And it just seems like at some point there should have at least been like a stereotypical, you know, portrayal of what Amish people are like. Yeah. She should have watched Witness. Yes, yes exactly. Yes. <laughs> so um, immediately after these like weird introductions to Rebecca's family, the nurse comes to take Leah away to get a bone scan. The nurse's name is Molly, and she's been like super peppy and been talking to both Rebecca and Leah and bonding with them. And Leah's like, "What's up with Rebecca's family?" They're Amish, I guess. Like, do you know what Amish people are like? And Molly's like, oh, I guess I know a little bit about Amish people. And then goes on to Amish explain everything about, like, essentially recites the Wikipedia page on the Amish to Leah as they're walking to the bone scan. If I may, she was plain explaining. Plain explaining. <laughs> I like that better. That's good. Thank yeah. you. Uh, it's good to be back, you guys. yeah and one of my favorite quotes from that is like molly's plane planning and leah's like they're weird and i mean weird (laughs) and the second time weird is in italics like if you didn't get weird (laughs) (laughs) but it did literally sound like lorleen mcdaniels like went to the encyclopedia of the library and just copied like everything about the amish and just like put it in that passage yes exactly It really kind of cemented in my head. I always sort of assumed after Jodi Pico got bit good, I was like, oh, it's like Lurleen McDaniel for adults. Yes. <laughs> having just read the Jodi Pico book for the podcast, she does the same thing where she re- researches a thing and then just drops all the information right into the book. You're 100% correct. Yeah. <laughs> and I thought the detail about, like, Amish Acres, the tourist attraction, was, one, like, something she's kind of experienced at some point. 
Um, yeah, you like know, she probably took her, her diabetic kid there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> like, you can't have this old-timey steak candy, son. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But we can watch them churn butter. Yes. And stare at them like animals. <laughs> um. So, uh, after the bone scan, uh, Molly is late coming to pick Leah up from the, like, scanning room, and she says it's because somebody has stolen the Christmas tree, the big artificial Christmas tree they normally put up in the pediatric ward. Uh, because in case we didn't mention it, it is around Christmas time, of course. Of course. Yes, her mom went on her honeymoon two weeks before Christmas and just, like, left her 16-year-old daughter at home with, like, plans to get home, like, the day before Christmas. Yeah. By the way, her mom has a hyphenated, her mom and Leah both have hyphenated last names, which in the 90s is, like, how you know, like, the mom's a bitch. And, like, you know, she doesn't value her family. She values her hyphen name. Yeah. Her identity. <laughs> yeah. Her sense of self. What a bitch. Yeah. There's some, like, real talk about the mom later that's actually very depressing. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, for for now, though, the mom, nobody is that concerned that Leah's in the hospital forever just for a broken finger. Except, obviously, it's cancer. But no one is concerned about that. <laughs> yeah, the mom is like, oh, what? They want to keep my daughter in a hospital for a broken finger? Yeah, that's probably fine. Yeah. Oh, and she is, pro- they had just moved to Indiana from Texas, and she's partly like, uh, well, I'm sure they have better hospitals in Dallas than Indiana. Like, what the heck? Uh, but other than that, not that concerned. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah, she doesn't nor- value family the way that the Amish people do. Yes. And that's a lesson <laughs> to be learned here. Uh, so as as they're in the hospital, um, Rebecca is very um, nervous and jittery. She's never been away from the, her family before. She's sad to be in the hospital. So she keeps asking Leah to read from her from her favorite book, which is, of course, a book of Bible stories. And uh, Leah, it is said several times in the text, is not religious and doesn't go for any of that and just was never, (laughs) never felt the need to be religious at all. She likes science. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So she reads her these Bible stories and uh, wakes up in the middle of the night one night and sees a night nurse come in and, like, talk to Rebecca and lean over her bed and, like, tuck her in and read her a story and thinks like, oh, wow, real good service here at this hospital, and falls back <laughs> asleep. And in the morning, mentions to Molly, like, oh, that nurse came in, was, you know, definitely talking to Ma- uh, Rebecca for a really long time last night, and Molly's like, really? That's strange, because the night shift is usually pretty busy. I guess they had a light load that night, as if we didn't already know something weird was happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so as they continue their respective hospital stays, Leah starts to get a little bit closer to Ethan, even though, you know, she thinks he's a jerk. He kind of explains himself and says that he was nervous about his sister and that he doesn't really know a lot about the English world and he feels weird about it. She buys him a candy bar as a flirtation device, I guess, mm-hmm. and keeps being shocked that he doesn't know about things like video games or television or whatever the hell else, despite the fact that the Amish lifestyle has been explained to her several times at this point. Yeah, she doesn't get it, but she wants to get Ethan. Yeah. Yeah. 
and he keeps very earnestly telling her that she's like so beautiful and she's lovely and wonderful and he once took this other girl for a carriage ride uh. but <laughs> like that doesn't mean he's like married to her or anything yet so whatever <laughs> Yeah, I thought their, like, falling in love was, like, pretty quick. Like, it was, like... They were only in the hospital for, like, a week. Yeah, and it was, like, but one day, it was, like, in the morning, he was rude to her, and then in the afternoon, he's like, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen, and I'm like, whoa, slow Mm -hmm. down. Well, that's that's part of the appeal of these cancer books, is when, you know, you have all these other issues, you realize what's important in life is flirting with random Amish boys. Yes. Yeah. Your your time is short. YOLO. Get it. Grab Ethan while you can. I just thought his like Amish repression would like keep him from being so bold, you Mm -hmm, know? mm -hmm. Listen, spiders could come for you at any moment. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You never know when you're getting a staph infection. You never know. So they continue to convalesce in the hospital. Rebecca starts to get better the more that the mysterious night nurse Gabriella visits her. Molly still has no idea who Gabriella is. Oh, by the way, we've I, you mentioned Bible stories, but also specifically they're real into angel talk and like they're shocked that Leah doesn't know all the different kinds of angels that there are. And so they angel explain to her, like, all the different flavors of angels you can have. So in addition to it being in the title, they do get this angel talk in, like, in-depth, up-front, pretty-quick angels. Yeah, they reach a point where they... What are they? There. Oh, so Ethan brings... He hears that the the tree was stolen from the pediatric mm-hmm. ward, so he has them cut down a Christmas tree from their farm, yes. which shocks Rebecca because they don't celebrate, the plain folk don't celebrate Christmas the way that the English do, and they don't have, like, big, giant, decorated trees. But, you know, Ethan explained to his father they'd be doing a good deed for the hospital, and his father went along with it, and it becomes very clear that he did this entirely to get into Leah's metaphorical pants because he's too good of a boy to actually want to get into her actual pants. Also, yeah. she has to wear a hospital gown. Yeah, yes. get into her hospital <laughs> gown. Yeah. yeah, but then they go, and there's a party, and they put an angel on top of the tree, but Leah's disappointed because it's not as like beautiful and angelic as she has learned that real angels are like from stories, I guess. That she just read. (laughs) (laughs) The party is so, like, boisterous that she takes Rebecca and Charity... Charity or Chastity? It's Charity. Charity (laughs) and Ethan to the library, and they explain, like, oh, those things that you call angels, they're not really angels. Angels have 19 wings, and they're red eyes, and our spirits and can look however you want. I don't know. This whole big long angel explaining that they do. Um, so gosh, uh, after all these visits from Gabriella, the mysterious night nurse, Rebecca finds out that she is well enough to go home. And on the flip side, Leah finds out that she needs to have a biopsy done on her hand because 
on her fin finger or knee, her knee, because her knee also has started to hurt since she got to the hospital. So Leah finds out she needs to have a biopsy done on her knee because there's some weird abnormalities there the doctor wants to check out, and she's starting to get very nervous. Uh, her parents still not that concerned. Nope. No. But uh, Ethan can tell that Leah's worried about it, so even though his sister's out of the hospital, he says he'll come back to see her after her biopsy because, you know, he wants someone to be there for her. Though it did make me feel really bad for Leah that the only person she had to depend on was, like, an Amish kid she met, like, five days ago. Yes. It's really depressing. It's pretty sad. <laughs> so she has the biopsy done and says goodbye to um, the Amish family, including stealing a kiss from Ethan with his yeah. permission. And promising that she'll write them letters. And then, tragically, all of this is interrupted by the doctor calling Leah into his office to have a conversation with her and her parents to explain that she has surprise cancer. Mm -hmm. She got bone cancer, and so that's how come her finger broke so easily because it had cancer in it. And then that's why her knee hurts and something else hurts too because it's all in her bones. And like the internet didn't exist then really. I mean, I get why she didn't like go on. Well, no, it was nice. She could have gone on AOL. <laughs> One. Keyword like, cancer. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> but like it seems like if I was 16 and in a hospital for a week with a broken finger but couldn't leave, I would like. Maybe find a medical dictionary or something and do a little research. Right. But as established, she was not concerned at all until Yes, this. no and reason that, to be concerned. No. Um, <laughs> she was annoyed, but not concerned. And then we get all this backstory, too, about how her mother has been married, like, five times. This is her fifth marriage. Mm -hmm. And her father left when she was three and disappeared and died when she was 10. And her father's mother, her grandmother, was in this, like, weird fight with her mother. So she didn't get to see her, even though her grandmother loved her very much. And then her grandmother got cancer and died and withered away to nothing. And it was really sad for her to see her undergo chemo and become, like, this shell of herself and... Lots of, lots of foreshadowing cancer backstory. Yeah, and then, oh, also this establishes that Leah is way more afraid of chemo than of cancer. So yes. the doctor's, like, she just doesn't want to do chemo because it was so horrible. And, I mean, chemo is horrible, obviously. But. Yeah. Yeah, like, the doctor essentially says, you have cancer. And she says, nope, not listening to you. You're lying. This is fake I don't have cancer. I'm not doing chemo. And her mother is also like, you're right. This is fake. He made it up. You don't have cancer. We'll, we'll get you out of that hospital and get you to a better hospital and get a second opinion that won't be cancer because you don't have cancer. Right. That can't possibly right. be it, even though you've been in the hospital for a week. Right. <laughs> and at that point, she does grudgingly agree to come home early from her honeymoon. But then she, like, when she gets there, she guilt trips Leah about it. Like, her mom sucks. Yeah. Yeah. 
not only about coming home early from her honeymoon, but about how, you know, everything's always been to make Leah's life better. And she married all these guys she didn't even like because she thought they would give Leah a better life. And she's made all these sacrifices for her. And it's like, your kid has fucking cancer. Yeah. Jesus. Let's not make this about you and how you've eaten too much fish in the last two weeks. Yeah, she gets, yeah, she gets a pizza delivered immediately because she's just been eating too much fish and she can't cope with that. Yeah. And then they, like, get a hotel room. Yeah. And, like, they don't even, like, stay in the hospital. They're like, okay, nice to see you. I'm going to go catch up on my beauty sleep. Uh-huh. My internal clock's all messed up. <laughs> like, yeah. Um. Anyway, around this time, Leah's obviously bummed because her life kind of sucks. And Molly is like, hey, I've been looking into it. There is no nurse Gabriella. Sometimes we get these weirdos who break into the hospital and pretend to be nurses. So if you see her again, like, you got to call security. You got to report that because she does not work here. And Leah's like, oh, but she's so nice. Like, whatever. And it's, like, just a nurse that talks to her. Like, not, like, the head of security or, like, some other, I don't know, it just seems like that'd be, like, a more serious, like, someone would come and question her and be like, what does this person look like? When did she come? You know, like. Right. Yeah. And we had gotten, earlier in the book, we had gotten some backstory from Molly who took, took Leah, like, essentially jailbroke her down to the cafeteria to get real food. And tells her about how she became a nurse because when she was a little girl, her older sister got cancer and died. And there was a nurse on her ward who was super nice. And Molly had decided when she met this nurse that she was going to grow up and be a nurse so that she could be there for people the way this nurse was there for her family. And her sister had been in this very hospital when she had cancer. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, after warning her, oh, if, if this Gabriella lady shows up again, call security immediately, Leah wakes up in the middle of the night to find that Gabriella has, in fact, returned to her room. Yeah. And does she, does she outright say she's an angel? No, I don't think she does. But she, she just says, like, a lot of God stuff and implies... And she says, you'll never see me again. And, like, Leah just has a good feeling about it. Like that Let she... me see if I can pull it up. I, it's chapter 19. Um, and also, like, she lays hands on Leah, and Leah feels, like, warm. Yeah, I was gonna say, there's actual laying on of hands. Mm-hmm. And she tells her, you know, go to the library and go to this particular place and there'll be a book there and find it and give it to Molly and she'll understand. And she's like, okay, this isn't weird at all. Sure, I'll do that. Yeah, yeah. That sounds fine. Um, okay, yeah, Gabriella doesn't say she's an angel. She lays hands on her and then says, uh, believe in the power and goodness of God. And then Leah closes her eyes. She feels like warm, healing power. And then when she wakes up, Gabriella is gone. I like that it even says warm healing power. Mm-hmm. Like, just in case you don't get it, it's healing her. <laughs> so in the morning, what like the doctor had kind of begrudgingly after Leah's mom also threw a shit fit and was like, my daughter doesn't have cancer. He had told them that they would have to amputate because the cancer was far gone enough that they would have to amputate her leg and her finger Which in order to thing- make sure... Yeah, and that's, like, the thing that the mom's really concerned about. Yeah. Like, wait, holy fuck, you're gonna cut off my kid's leg and a finger? Oh my god, now I'm really, like, involved. You know, then she gets, like, really emotionally involved. Yes. Yeah. 
So he agrees that they'll do another scan to make sure that he was correct about the size of the cancer and whatever. So they do the scan. And of course, when they do the scan again through some strange miracle, it seems as if the spots of cancer have shrunk overnight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're like almost or he, gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He says it's like a weird spontaneous remission or something. And of course, as they're all like, yes, like medical jargon. And then Leah's new stepfather is like, in my day, we just called that a good old-fashioned miracle, in case yeah. it wasn't already clear what was going on. Right. Yeah. And then the other miracle is so weird. Yeah. Like, this <laughs> healing is like, okay, I get it. But the the book that Gabriella told Leah to go to the library and she would find it, she gives it to Molly, and it's Molly's dead sister's diary that, like, they had had gone missing after Molly died and everyone like really wanted it as this treasured memory. Uh, or when the sister died, I mean, uh, and Molly wanted the diary and she's like so happy. And she's like, how could that possibly be in the library? Uh, of course it's a miracle, but like, what a weird miracle. Like was the angel carrying this diary around for like 12 years? Where was the angel a hoarder? What has happened? <laughs> the angel doesn't need to physically hold on to something. <laughs> the angel just makes something appear when they <laughs> when oh, it's convenient. Shit. Was it like a? Do you think it was like a forged diary that like she opens it and it's just like Bible verses? And yes. Like, <laughs> foiled by Gabriella, the spiteful angel. <laughs> I legit read a book about a spiteful <laughs> angel hoarder who just yes. steals shit from dying cancer kids. <laughs> Uh, okay, to well, try that, to convert people. The next YA think piece source is going to be our book about malevolent angels. <laughs> Look for it next year. Um, one of my favorite things about that plot line was like Ethan and Leah go to find this diary in the library, and Leah like finds it and is like, "Holy crap!" the book that she talks about. It's here. Here it is. And Ethan's, like, reaction is just like, oh, you're so hot. <laughs> it's like, what? Are you serious? <laughs> An angel ghost just told her to find something, and it was there. Well, and, like, he, your reaction is like, you look really pretty. He already <laughs> believed in angels, but he... You know, he's more surprised by her earthly beauty. Yes, that's, that's <laughs> a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's harder to comprehend for him. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so then um, she gets out of the hospital, and uh, the last chapter is she's is writing a letter to Charity to explain all of this. And then it's like, P.S., I'm also including another letter just for Ethan. Bye. Yeah. And so they're sort of continuing their romance by letters. But um, because this is a trilogy, it ends kind of unsatisfactorily, I would say. But also it's like, I'm writing you, but really I'm just writing you so you can give this to your brother. Right. (laughs) Six-year-old girl, sorry. (laughs) Yeah. And it was funny because, like, reading it, I was like, wow. Like, we, so we chose this because, because of the, the Amish subplot, not even knowing about the spider bite at the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and reading it I was like you know wow this is interesting I remember there being much more people actually dying in these books like an angel mysteriously saving everyone seems so strange and then Renata found the summaries of the other two books in the series and it turns out there was no dying in this book so they could save it all up for later yes 
Um, so her stepdad, Neil, who she is, you know, he is her best of all the stepdads, and she has grown close to him in the other books. He, it's cancer, right? He gets cancer. He, he does cancer, something. and he gets a back. Yeah, so that happens. And then uh, little baby Rebecca dies. And at first, I was, because re- I was really afraid, because the first summary I found just said she died. And I was like, was it from her spider bite? Did it come back? <laughs> But it wasn't. She just got hit by a truck, which is also a little off-brand for Lurleen. Like, usually it is an illness, but... Well, I did some further reading, actually, today Mm -hmm. when I was at work, obviously doing work. And um, so I guess in the second book, like, they talk about all the tourists who come and, like, gawk at the Amish and how there's been, like, near car accidents all the time because they're, like staring out their window instead of paying attention to driving. So then they imply that that's, like, how Rebecca got hit by a car. Oh. It's, like, Amish exploitation, essentially. <laughs> that sucks. <laughs> that definitely Lorraine McDaniel is not playing up by then going and writing this trilogy of books about the Amish. Yeah, no. Yes. <laughs> um, also, in the end, Ethan and Leah do not end up together. But also in my Googling, I discovered that there are some pieces of fan fiction written where they do get together. So these books had at least enough devoted fans to, like, fix the ending for Lurleen. <laughs> well, some, there wasn't enough, the death count wasn't up. So she at least needed to make it so that the protagonists weren't together, you know? Yeah. And I think she was kind of, like, pro, you know, this is definitely, like, a... Pro Amish, right? You know, she she's definitely supportive of people who choose the Amish faith and lifestyle. So I think maybe she felt like it would be, you know, sending the wrong message if he became English, right? And like gave up his Amish ways. Um, I was pretty excited to hear that the next two books like talk about Rumspringa a lot. Yeah, and the next one he goes on his Rumspringa. But then after Rebecca dies, he's like, no, I need to return to my Amish ways and just, like, be with, you know, cars are what kills people. (laughs) Et cetera. Um, But, yeah, so this was, it was disappointing for the lack of death count in the first one. And then also, I was, like, I don't remember any of the others being so overtly religious, like, with literally an angel but then I was also partly wondering if some of it was maybe, like, a Narnia thing, where, like, they were sort of religious, and I just didn't pick up on it because I wasn't ra- raised religious. But I don't think they were, like, angels, though. <laughs> yeah, like, I was, like, half-raised religious. I went to catechism in church every week despite, you know, figuring out pretty early that I really didn't care or believe in any of that. But I don't, and I only read, like, two of them prior to this, but I don't remember them. Like, I I kind of vaguely remember, like, passing references to God and heaven the way you get in all these sick people books, Mm -hmm. but not, like, angels exist and the Lord will answer your prayers and heal you if only you believe sort of religion. Yeah, this is, like, for real. Yeah, thinking about it, like, thinking back to the other Lorleen McDaniel books I read... You know, there's definitely, like, a lot of heaven talk, which is, you know, you're talking about death. Mm-hmm. So kids, young adults, obviously have questions about, like, what happens after that. But I think 
in hindsight, that was all veiled, like, pretty religious, you know? Right. Playing the slow game. Right. <laughs> really in with the kids dying of cancer. Slowly convert you to Christianity or Amishness. <laughs> <laughs> One, yeah. One step at a time. <laughs> Do we want to move on to our dramatic readings? Do you have any other plot points to get through? I think that's it. I think that, that covers my feelings, at least. Yeah, about the the book that we read, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, our first dramatic reading is uh, Molly Plainsplaining, and I will be Molly the nurse, and Kate will be Leah the girl who does not yet know that she has cancer. Do you know anything about the Amish? She asked Molly. A little... There's a large community of them up in Napani, along with a tourist attraction called Amish Acres. The Acres lets you take a peek at Amish life as it was a hundred years ago, which, incidentally, is about the same as it is today. These people live very simply, and they're not only exceptional farmers, they're also outstanding craftsmen, especially in carpentry work. Well, I think they're weird, Leah declared. And I do mean weird. Not weird, just different. They call themselves plain people because they don't believe in adornments of any kind. They separate themselves from the rest of us, whom they call English, the outworlders. Leah recalled Ethan calling her English and an outsider back in the room. They're plain, all right. Did you know that Charity doesn't even go to school because some bishop thinks she should just get married and have babies? Is that backward or what? I'll bet they treat women like slaves. You're wrong. The old order Amish have built their lifestyle on the values of love, forgiveness, and peace. They're such pacifists that Congress has exempted Amish men from military service. Mostly, they just want to be left alone. Leah shook her head. Doesn't sound like much fun to me. What's wrong with civilization? Plenty to their way of thinking. They believe the outside world will contaminate their culture and change them and their ways. They avoid such contamination at all costs. But if that's so, then everything in this place is a contaminant. It unsettled Leah to think of herself that way. Molly stopped the wheelchair in front of a door marked Radiation Lab. Well, fortunately, they aren't against modern medicine. Good thing, too. Rebecca is one very sick little girl. Molly's statement sobered Leah. She is? All she told me was that a spider bit her. Yes, a brown recluse spider. That can be bad enough, but now a strep or staph infection has set in and is moving up her arm from the site of the bite. Her doctors got her on a powerful IV antibiotic. That's why she's in the hospital. Poor Rebecca. <laughs> if Amish, if the Amish Acres website hadn't like written copy yet, they could just take it. From this, yes, <laughs> it's a pretty accurate description. Okay. Um. So our next dramatic reading is Leah and Ethan beginning their tentative romance, and I will be Ethan, and Aaron will be Leah. You have to put money in it. You can't just wish the stuff out, Leah said, hoping to make him smile. Startled, he jumped back. You surprised me. His cheeks reddened and he dropped his gaze. He didn't offer her the hoped-for smile. 
Sorry, she said irritably. Why did he always look away from her? Did his religion forbid him to look her in the eye? Do you want me to help? She asked. I, I have no money for the machine. I have quarters. She reached into the pocket of her robe. Here, let me treat you. What would you like? I cannot take. Of course you can, she interrupted. Buying you a candy bar doesn't make us engaged, does it? She popped in two quarters. What's your favorite? I don't know. I've never had one before. Are you joking? Is this funny to you? Only strange. She said more hesitant now, her annoyance subsiding. I'll pick for you. She punched a button, and a Milky Way bar dropped down the chute. She picked it up and handed it to him. This one's my favorite. Try it. Hesitantly, he took it from her, careful not to touch her hand. Thank you. She tried to make eye contact, but Ethan kept his gaze on the candy bar. Again, her anger flared. She spun and stalked over to the counter, and a platter holding a stack of wrapped sandwiches. She grabbed one, took a fruit drink, and dropped into a nearby chair, pointedly ignoring Ethan. The guy might be good-looking, but he was a jerk as far as she was concerned. From the corner of her eye, she saw that Ethan hadn't left the room. He just stood by the door, shifting from foot to foot. His shirt was white broadcloth. His pants were the same wide-leg style as his father's. He wore heavy, dark boots. There was nothing fashionable about him. He was nothing like any of the boys she'd ever known back in Dallas. She tried hard not to look at him. Still, he didn't move. She couldn't stand it anymore. What? she cried. What do you want? Is the candy bar poisonous or something? He shook his head, his gaze riveted to the floor. Then what's wrong, Ethan? Is there something wrong with me? Is there a particular reason why you won't look at me or talk to me? No. He came closer until he was standing over her, staring straight down into her eyes. His gaze was so intense that Leah felt as if it might burn her. She swallowed hard. Her hands trembled, and her heart began to race. What is it? Do you dislike me? Her voice quivered with false bravado. Dislike you? He looked as if she'd slapped him. I do not dislike you, Leah Lewis Hall. I think that you are the most beautiful girl I have ever set my eyes upon. It's really feeling that, Renata. <sighs> Also, my main thought was, what? A candy bar only costs 50 cents? (laughs) Those (laughs) were the days. (laughs) Also, now I bet you are not allowed to have a candy bar vending machine at a hospital. It would have to be, you know, like... uh, Bananas and granola bars or something. Thanks, Michelle Obama. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and our last dramatic reading is uh, the reveal of that diary that the angel hoarded. Yeah, so for this one, uh, Kate will reprise her role as Leah. I will be Molly and also Leah's mom, who doesn't talk much because she is the worst. And uh, Aaron will be Ethan. So dreamy. (laughs) Don't be worried. She won't be back. Leah handed Molly the book. She wanted you to have this. Molly took it, then gasped. 
All the color drained from her face. Where did she get this? What is it? What's wrong? Seeing Molly's reaction made Leah's heart skip. It's my sister's diary. It's been missing for all these years. We knew Emily kept it. I saw her writing in it. But after she died, we couldn't find it anywhere. Molly hugged the book to herself as tears streamed down her face. Gabriella told me it was in the library, and that's exactly where Ethan and I found it. How can that be? That library's been revamped and restocked many times over the years. Someone would have found it before now. I don't know how, Leah said, equally baffled. But that's where we found it, just like Gabriella said we would. It's locked. I have the key. I've kept it all these years. Molly wiped her eyes. Oh, Leah, what a wonderful present for my parents. We're supposed to go there for Christmas dinner. I'll take it with me and we'll read it together. Thank you. And thank this Gabriella when you see her. She told me that I won't see her again, like Leah said. And I believe her. The elevator door slid open. Let's blow this place, Leah's mother said. In the lobby, they waited for Leah's mother to drive the car to the front door. Outside, snow was falling. Leah saw a gray van off to one side. Ethan touched Leah's cheek. My ride to Napani is waiting for me. I must go. Leah clung to his hand, not wanting him to leave her. Ethan, I want you to know how much it mattered to me to have you come and stay with me. I wanted to stay with you. I don't want you to be in trouble because of it. I cannot change what I have done. He squared his jaw. You should not worry about me. I'll write you. Charity and Rebecca, too. He grinned and stroked her hair. We'll wait for your letter. Please tell them Merry Christmas and that it helped knowing they were praying for me. So you're no longer angry with God? She sighed. I guess not. I need his help, don't I? He bent and kissed her forehead. Merry Christmas, English. Merry Christmas, she whispered. She watched him step out into the snow, his dark coat, pants, and broad-brimmed hat stark against the white snow. She pressed her hand to her mouth and felt the lingering warmth of his touch. She watched him disappear into the van, and she hoped with all her heart that angels would watch over him forever. But she didn't wish the same for Rebecca, and so she got hit with a car and died. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, angels. <laughs> really? That's your number one wish? You're like 16, you're like, man, I sure hope angels watch over him forever. <laughs> like, no, you're thinking about something a little different. Yeah. Cancer or no cancer, angels or no angels. So, that's this book. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll move on to a quick round of Would You Rather. And uh, we'll start with, would you rather have bone cancer or a staph-infected spider bite? Uh, I'm just going to go with the staph-infected spider bite. You lived through it. Rebecca mm -hmm. lived through it. I'll be sure to look both ways before I cross the street so I won't <laughs> die from being hit by a truck outside of an Amish tourist trap. So I think I'll be good. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm going to 
uh, be a little controversial and say bone cancer, especially if it means making out with a hot Amish guy. <laughs> Aaron, is your husband going to listen to this podcast? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want me to bleep this? Or? He can probably hear me we'll right now. Um, I can look, but I just can't touch. I, <laughs> I think there's also the Amish rule. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I did live through the staff infected spider bite. It did really suck. I don't really want another one, but, you know, cancer's not great either, I hear, so. We'll go with, and you know, Rebecca's was on her arm. I feel like that is more manageable than mine. Mine was on my butt, and... You need your butt for sitting and things like that. You don't need your arms. (laughs) (laughs) So I'll go with that. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) Would you rather have jet-setter, neglectful, TV-owning parents or a loving but strict Amish family? Um, I'll go with the neglectful parents. I need the internet. Mm Mm-hmm. And my parents weren't neglectful, but when we were kids, they, as I was saying earlier, they both worked non-traditional nine-to-five jobs, so we spent a lot of time on our own as kids being raised by the television, and I mostly turned out okay. It was before we knew that screen time was bad. Ah, okay. And actually, screen time is bad, but watching Sesame Street is positive for development. Mm Mm-hmm. So. I say, um, go with the devil you know. So I'm going neglectful TV-owning parents because TV is great. (laughs) I mean, with the Amish family, you do get a lot of uh, good baked goods. Uh, We didn't, that didn't come up as much in this as it did in the last Amish book we read. That is a strong pro, but, you know, if, with your, you know, your neglectful English parents, you can buy cinnamon rolls in a tube at the store and bake them, and that's, like, pretty good. So, yeah, I'll, I'll stick with my worldly ways. And lastly, would you rather spend Christmas stuck in a children's hospital or spend Christmas with an Amish family who don't really celebrate Christmas or have TV specials? Uh, Emmett Otter's Drug Band Christmas <laughs> is amazing. Uh, I would even have a hard time giving off the giving up the claymation Rudolph. So <laughs> definitely the children's hospital. <laughs> Yeah, it's really not Christmas without Muppet Christmas Carol and Muppet Family Christmas. And, you know, you could be in the hospital for a lot of reasons. Maybe I'm there with my staph-infected spider bite, and I'll be (laughs) fine. And I'm not fucking giving up the Muppets just to not be in the hospital for a day, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna go Amish on this one. My family was not that big into Christmas TV specials. I don't, I mean, I've seen a lot of them. I don't have, like, necessarily strong memories of them. Actually, a lot of them are pretty annoying if you didn't grow up with them. Sorry about it. But, uh, you know, if you're Amish, again, the baked goods. Like, I don't want to commit to the whole lifestyle, but I've been an Amish Christmas dinner. I bet it's not very vegetarian friendly, but I bet at least I'm going to get some good pie out of it. And I don't have to be in the hospital, so I'll take that. You did recently live through a medical emergency. I did, yeah. So. It, it made me reevaluate my priorities. <laughs> yes. And they are baked goods. <laughs> is near the top of the list, for sure. <laughs> uh, okay, so that's how we play Would You Rather. And now we will move on to our reader's advisory, where we'll suggest things to read instead of or in addition to this book. 
I'm mostly going to say straight up M instead of. There's not a lot of good reason to read this. Like, even if you want the 90s Lurleen nostalgia, this really is not, like, peak Lurleen. It's a little, you know, nobody dies. There's angel healing. Like, uh, yeah, it's, it's yeah, not it's what I'm looking for in a Lurleen McDaniel book. I'll put that up front. Yeah. Uh, there are, she is still writing books. She has ones that come out. Uh, in hardcover now, she's gotten a little bit classier. They are still, of course, about kids who are dying. Uh, before we recorded this, I neglected to look any of them up. I will do that right now. But while I'm typing Lurleen McDaniel into Google, I will circle back around to The Fault in Our Stars by John Green, which people keep asking us to do for the podcast. And I just, I don't think it would be a very good episode because I really liked that book. I thought it was good. Uh, I do agree that there is a pro- like a separate John Green problem where like when people talk about YA, they talk about John Green too much disproportionately for how many books he's written. Like, and is it because he's a white man? Yes, of course it is. But also, I think it's a pretty good book and I like it. And if you want to read about teens with cancer, you could do way worse than The Fall in Our Stars. Yeah, I definitely agree. Like, I, I, people say it to me too that we should do The Fall in Our Stars or other John Green books. And, I mean, like, the guys won, what, one Prince Award and been nominated for, gotten honors on a couple others. Like, mm-hmm. they're good books. They're not all my cup of tea, but they're not garbage. And we read garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you guys know garbage. We so. Yeah. We know garbage, and that is, like... You know, maybe it's maybe it's for the fancy goodwill and the good part of town. Maybe it's that, but it's not garbage. <laughs> yeah. Um, I will say like the fault in our stars is legitimately like a good book and um when that book, you know, gained in popularity, there was a lot of like comparing it to Lorleen McDaniel's books and you know, I will say like his characters are more developed. But when it comes down to it, I think a 13-year-old is reading it for the same reason. Like, an adult is reading it for, you know, an adult sees different things. And I think, sure, I'd rather have a 13-year-old read, like, a good book that's well-written, that has, like, diversity in characters. But, like, in the end, they're reading it because they like the sad uh, two things. My Google has come back and told me that two of her most recent books are Losing Gabriel and A Year of Luminous Love. Again, like, people are dying. They're in hardback. I don't know. I haven't read any of them. They're probably better than this one. Uh, <laughs> and then also uh, what Aaron said about diversity of characters. This is a very, like, white genre, the cichlet genre. And, like, Fallen Our Stars also is pretty white. Like, they're more developed. But uh, a book I read recently that does feature characters of color having serious illness is Everything, Everything by Nicola Yoon. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's uh, it's not cancer. The girl has, you know, basically like boy in the bubble disease where she's allergic to outside. And so she has to stay not in a literal bubble, but just in her specially designed house. And, it, you know, and there's a romance, and it's very sad and very good, and there's there's a twist that I don't want to say too much about. But Everything, Everything by Nicola Yoon uh, is pretty good. My personal favorite cancer-adjacent book for young people is A Monster Calls by Patrick Ness, which is not necessarily this same cichlet genre. For one, it's not the kid who's sick. 
uh, it's his mother, and it's more about him dealing with his grief through his fantasy life than it is about the actual kind of voyeuristic watching someone die slowly of cancer that these other books in the genre are. Um, but it's beautiful. It was actually written, it's based on a concept by Siobhan Dowd, right? Yes. Yes, who uh, died before she could finish it, and her notes and ideas were given to Patrick Ness with her, as her, per her blessing and per the blessing of her publishers. And this is uh, what he wrote using that as a starting point. And it's really just a beautiful book. Uh, I cry usually just talking about it. I'm doing okay right now. <laughs> a movie is coming out mm -hmm. fairly soon, I think. I've literally cried every time I've watched the preview for the movie. Just read this book if you want to cry about people dying of cancer. And and we do. <laughs> it doesn't. Erin, mm -hmm. um, did you have anything you want to chip oh, in? Well, my recommendation is just, you know, read young adult and youth Holocaust novels. Um, that was my, like, similar, like, the, the time period of my life where I really loved Lorraine McDaniel books was when I was also deeply into um, young adult books about surviving or living in the Holocaust. And, you know, if you want sad, just, like, go all out. Mm -hmm. And also, like, you can write a book report on a book about, you know, a young adult experiencing the Holocaust. But when you're in eighth grade, teachers don't like when you try to write about Lorleen McDaniel books. So. <laughs> uh, so judgy, those teachers. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that somebody has already written, like, their thesis about the difference and appeal of cancer books versus Holocaust books. It is weird that Holocaust books are, like, a genre, but they also are. I mean, a like, lot of historical fiction's a genre. Yeah, but, like, specifically, there is something about the Holocaust... I think I it, mean I think it is just like the most sad thing. Yeah, like it just I feel like it pokes on similar things. Yeah. Like similar needs in like adolescence, you know. Also, really besides uh the Fault in the Stars, I just think Nicholas Sparks novels. I mean, mm. when I really think about like what equals a Laureen McDaniels book, like Walk to Remember. Okay. Is the adult version. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I haven't read any Nicholas Sparks books except the one that Kate and I read for the podcast, which wasn't that sad. It was more about ghosts that maybe weren't real ghosts. That was a letdown. Well, um, <laughs> I've, I've only watched the movie. I haven't read a Nicholas Sparks book. I don't do a podcast about bad books, so I mostly read fine literature. Thank you very much. Understood. Yeah, sometimes I have given shout-outs to my book club on this podcast. Erin is in that book club. Yeah. And I'll give it another shout-out, because we do read good books. Good job, us. Uh, as we said earlier, too, in addition to Nicholas Sparks, I really feel like Jodi Pico uh -huh. is yes. kind of an adult version of Lorraine McDaniel. And I'll also uh, shout out my other favorite cancer-adjacent book, which is, again, not really the cichlet genre, which I was never super into, so I haven't read a ton in that. But it's a Notes from the Dog by Gary Paulson, mm -hmm. which is about uh, a kid who makes friends with his next-door neighbor, who's a 24-year-old woman who uh, is being treated for breast cancer and kind of 
spends his summer doing weird shit outside of his comfort zone in an attempt to like live his life based on her being like, you should live your life. I have cancer. Mm -hmm. It's funnier than it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) And it's good. Excellent. Well, we'll have uh, all of these and more up on our website, worstbestsellers.com on the reader's advisory post for this episode. So check that out. If you're looking for some more cancer books. And now we will move on to our candy pairing, where we say what candy goes with this book. And I'll I'll say mine is the Milky Way, which is what Leah picked for Ethan's first ever piece of English candy. And I just thought that was a weird choice. Like, that's your first ever candy, and, and you're going with Milky? Like, it's a fine candy where, like, I'll eat a Milky Way if it's there, but if it's somebody's first piece of candy, like, I'm going to go Snickers, I'm going to go Kit Kat, like, Milky Way, what are you doing? Interesting. You would choose Kit Kat over Milky Way? Hell yeah, I would. Yeah. Well, I would too, but I feel like that's a very unpopular opinion. Is it? I, okay, we've got to do a Twitter poll after that. <laughs> so, <okay. laughs> so if, um, you know, you want to read a Laureline McDaniels book, this one is just fine, but there are better yeah, like there are there are Lurleen books that are like a Kit Kat of sadness. Yeah, you just keep breaking off pieces of of tears. <laughs> so my candy pairing would be a Buckeye, homemade by like an Amish person. By and- the way, I'm gonna interject. I think Buckeyes are regional, and if you're listening to this, maybe you don't know what a Buckeye is, and it's kind of like a homemade Reese's peanut butter cup. But worse. Yeah, it's um, it's actually peanut butter mixed with like a crap ton of powdered sugar and then dipped in chocolate, which sounds really good, but it's actually kind of bland and like almost too sweet. Um, like Renata said, it's a total Midwestern thing that I think Amish people make because Amish people live in Ohio and Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I've seen them sell them before at, like, little Amish rest stoppy places, so... Yeah, like, I doubt it's part of an Amish person's daily diet, but they will definitely sell them to tourists. Yes, to the English. Mm-hmm. Yes. And for my candy pairing, I went with old-fashioned vinegar candy. Uh, it's old-timey and traditional, but it's not at all what you're expecting, and ultimately not as good as hitting up the candy aisle at the grocery store. Also, if we explained what a Buckeye is, I need an explanation of what vinegar candy is, because I have never heard of that. No, me neither. <laughs> I, maybe maybe that's a regional thing, too, to the East Coast. I mean, it, essentially, it's just, like, sugar candy, but and you make it at home, and you set it in the refrigerator, and it has vinegar in it. It doesn't taste really vinegary. It's just one of the ingredients. We'll link to a recipe or something. So it's like rock candy or like sort of I mean not not rock candy in the traditional like it looks like a rock like it's really just like hard candy. This sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it's fine. It doesn't taste like vinegar. It's just it's in I there guess for used science for the reasons. Chemical. Okay. Yeah. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, in in summation, those candies in this book are fine. (laughs) And speaking of fine, and also speaking of rocks, shit, we had two good transitions. (laughs) (laughs) I 
couldn't decide. <laughs> anyway, let's play the rock, paper, snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, because I'm back, and it's back to Wolverine, uh, and I'm glad Becca had fun with her other characters, but we'll take, we'll take it back to the original. Snicked. And Erin will decide which character would most improve the book, or she can choose paper, which would be to leave the book as is. <laughs> All right. If Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in this book, he'd be another nurse at the hospital. He'd drop in on Leah and Rebecca from time to time to lift up their spirits because the Rock makes everything better, obviously. Mm-hmm. Upon hearing of Leah's shit fit and refusal to accept her diagnosis of bone cancer, followed by her mother's shit fit and refusal to accept Leah's diagnosis of bone cancer, he'd sit them both down with the doctor and have a stern but understanding conversation about how denial is healthy in some ways, but Leah really needs to be realistic about what's happening to her and understand the longer she drags her feet, the smaller her treatment window becomes, all the while giving very stern looks to Leah's mother, who as an adults should know this and not be acting the same way a 16-year-old girl is acting. Uh, He would suggest a middle ground of having another doctor look at Leah sooner rather than later. The new doctor would confirm the cancer diagnosis, but does not think that Leah's leg and finger need to be amputated. Uh, She'd undergo chemo and her cancer would go into remission. There are no angels and The Rock promises to teach Ethan about the English world on his upcoming Rumspringa. I would watch that movie, first of all. Yeah, that would be an amazing buddy comedy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. The movie I want is only The Rock and Ethan. It's not the rest Yes. Uh, all right. Well, if Wolverine were in this book, he would uh, purchase his meat products from the Amish, so he would kind of have a relationship with them. He would have become grudgingly fond of the community's children and would teach them some wilderness survival skills, like how to avoid brown recluse spiders. Uh, Wolverine really relates to brown recluse spiders because he also is a recluse who likes to hide in dark places. Uh, So because of this, Rebecca never has to endure the tragedy of an infected spider bite. So instead of hanging out with Amish people and learning about all the different kinds of angels, Leah would just spend more time at the library, and through the lens of fiction, she would learn how to better advocate for herself, and she would get her mom and stepdad to go to family therapy with her when they come back from Japan. Her cancer would still end up going into remission, but she would attribute it to science and not angels, and she'd go on to a successful career in medicine eventually. That's a really hard decision. Um, I liked how both kind of uh, discussed the importance of a good family therapist, <laughs> um, but honestly, the image of a buddy comedy of The Rock with a Amish teenager teaching him the ways of the English in a Rumpspringa themed comedy, I gotta go with The Rock, so. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I Again, I would watch that movie, for sure. It's true, it's it's pretty solid. I might have to add it to my list of rom-coms starring The Rock. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Movies to one day write and produce. Yes. All right. So what's the moral of the story besides that The Rock should be in a hundred romantic comedies? <laughs> uh, my moral of the story, I guess, is if you can't find an item of sentimental value, maybe an angel stole it for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> My moral of the story is, if you are ungrateful and skeptical enough of your medical care, a literal angel will justify your treatment refusal. 
Um, and my moral is when a stranger is sneaking around a hospital full of children and staring at you in your sleep, you should probably go with your gut and alert some sort of authority. What if it wasn't an angel? What if it was Edward Cullen? <laughs> <laughs> also, go with your gut. Stranger. Stranger danger. Come on. We teach children one thing, and we should. it should be reinforced in literature. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, those are our morals, and now we will move to Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte, who is also back from the Sandus Cave, although we did appreciate uh, some aquatic input in the meantime. Um, we're back to Duarte's Corner. My cat's going to tell us what he thought about the book. Dorothy, I think you're right. I have read those studies where, uh, you know, when they have cats in, like, nursing homes, people, like, the older people like the cats around. I think they probably should have cats in mm. the pediatric ward. I think that's a I'm great idea. I'm not sure. I agree with the reason that you want a cat be- to be there to attack the angels when they come <laughs> at night. But it really is a safety concern, people wandering around the pediatric ward at night. So I can kind of see where you're coming from. Yeah, good input. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for that, Duarte. And now we will move on to our closing thoughts. And right at the top, I'm going to say that you, if you follow us on social media, you might have already seen that we have uh, set up a survey. We are gathering your input on uh, what potential rewards and goals you might like to see us set for our Patreon account that we are looking to set up. If you don't know what Patreon is, look at the survey, first of all. Uh, but, I, <laughs> but second of all, it's like Kickstarter, but you would give us a small monthly donation uh, instead of just a one-time donation. And we are looking to set one of those up to help us do things like pay for our web hosting and upgrade our equipment and do some other fun stuff. Pay our editor who gives us hours of her time every week and does not have currently any compensation, and I feel bad about it every day. (laughs) Uh, That, all of that. So if you would (laughs) like to give us your feedback on that, uh, you can click the link. It's probably easier if you just go to worstbestsellers.com and click the link from this post. But if you don't want to do that, you can go to bit.ly slash WBS survey for worst bestseller survey. So bit.ly slash WBS survey. Or again, just get it from our website, worstbestsellers.com or social media. It's only like four questions. Just it's mobile friendly. You can fill it out real quick. And we would love to see your thoughts about that. I've already done the survey. It was very easy. As a, <laughs> as a listener, I'll uh, let you guys know. Well, it w- doesn't take much effort. Thank you, Erin. Uh, <laughs> hear, hear that? Other listeners, a testimonial. <laughs> you may also get to be on the show if you do the survey. But <laughs> I'm making that promise for them. Thank you, Erin. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, okay. So in addition to that survey, you can find all sorts of other stuff at our website, worstbestsellers.com, such as readers' advisory posts and links to all the other stuff we're about to tell you, such as that our Facebook is facebook.com slash worstbestsellers. Our Twitter is worstbestseller with no S at the end. 
because the S is for spider and I get scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> we also have a Goodreads account that is linked from our website, or you can just search goodreads.com for worst bestsellers. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher and Google Play and iTunes. If you do subscribe to us on any of those websites, please try and rate and review us. Uh, it pops us up in the listing so that more people will discover us. If you don't take the time out of your day to rate and review us, not only will you upset God, but, <laughs> you know, you will be more susceptible to spider bites and staph infections. <laughs> and an angel might steal your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just maybe. I don't, this is not a threat. Just maybe that could happen. <laughs> uh, you can also follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14 across. Um, I sometimes tweet about millennial career issues <laughs> at Cuppa Ambition, like the Dolly Parton song. Nice. <laughs> um, how do you spell it? Uh, C-U-P-P-A Ambition. Great. And also that will be available on our website, worstbestsellers.com. I I think that's all the things that we had to tell you. I think it is, too. (laughs) We've told you so many things. We hope you listen to them all. There'll be a quiz later. (laughs) (laughs) Say a little prayer. (laughs) Yes. I think we've all been convinced of the power of angels. Mm-hmm. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praying hands emoji. And we'll be back in two weeks with The Selection by Kira Cass, which I'm super excited to talk about. Uh, so thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks again to Becca for co-hosting in my absence and for editing all the time. And to Aaron for joining us. And to to God for curing my spider bite. Yes. <laughs> Amen. Amen, and goodbye. (laughs) Bye. Maybe lean back. You're hitting a lot of red now that we're talking about Lurleen. I think you are excited and more loud than you were in (laughs) practice.